Heavenly Father, as your spirit goes over the land today, our brother Mark prayed already, Lord, that you would pass by our way. Lord, there's many places in the world, there's many churches, many gatherings, but Lord, you're not just looking for a building made with stones and brick and mortar, and wood, but Lord, you're looking for hearts that you can inhabit, Lord. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you'd find hearts here this morning that would welcome you and receive you. And Lord, we know that we're living in the final moments. But, O oh God, while that gentle dove still searches the earth, we welcome you here this morning. Father, you see your people that have gathered. They have not gathered to hear from myself but they've come to hear from you the bread of life the message we all hold so dear for lord it's you that speaks to us it's only you that can change us it's only you that can help any one of us we're asking today you'll use vessels lord you'll use the vessel of the speaker you've used the musicians we thank you for the specials and the songs and the spirit of god that's gone with them but now, Lord, we're asking that you will also use us as hearers and receive us, Lord. Father, we pray your blessing would rest upon us as we open the word. We want to commit ourselves to you and just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That's all the singing we'll do. I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 59. This is the scripture that Brother Andrew had opened with on. Um, Wednesday, and it was just fitting right to where I wanted to go. Um, before we read that, I just wanted to make mention, next weekend we're going to have a special speaker. We're going to have Brother Paul Dirksen from Weldon, Saskatchewan come here. And Brother Paul uh, is a very studious brother. He, he put together a book, and you, some of you may know it, but it's called Marriage, Courtship, Dating, and it's comp compilation of quotes that Brother Branham had, and he's gone through and done a lot of work. He's very gifted in his approach. And we wanted him to come and minister to us on a level of families and relationships. And so he's going to come next weekend. So you be in prayer that God would use our brother. I think he's going to bring some of these books along, and we're going to make them available for some families. If you don't have them, we sometimes give them out to some young couples and different ones. But I believe you'll be blessed. Our brother Paul's got a gift in his life, and we're looking forward to God using him. How does that sound? Amen. Wonderful. God's already blessed us this week in the services. 
on Wednesday. We also had a young people service on Friday, and uh, I was listening in and watching, and it was just evident that the Spirit of God was moving right from the songs and the sword drill and the ministering, and Brother Max ministered, and if I remember the title, it was, The Waters Are Troubled, Will You Step In? And uh, it was a blessing to listen and just watched as the Holy Spirit just descended. And I'll just say, there was young people at the altar till after midnight. And we need to thank God for that. And we need to pray, oh God, this is what we need, is more of you. Amen. We're thankful for what God is doing. We saw Brother Max driving to church this morning, and he was just ahead of us. And I thought, you know... When Brother Max was a young man, I'll bet living in Ghana and, you know, just I'll bet he never thought he'd be driving to church on slippery roads with snow and cold weather and, and he'd have to watch his step. And I said, but he's here. And God knew it. <laughs> and he knew that some of us northerners would need him. And he knew that he'd need the other gifts. And, and God bless each one that's here. So, amen. We're happy to be in the house of the Lord, aren't we? Let's go to Isaiah 59. We're going to read verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and, the, and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Who's going to do that? The spirit of the Lord. But who's the spirit of the Lord going to use? Yielded vessels to raise the standard. So we see the world is changing around us. It appears they have a new president-elect and a vice president-elect, which we're watching scripture, we're watching history unfold, but we're watching prophecy unfold. And we don't know what it'll bring. And I'll say, don't look to the politicians to help you. And I know we don't live in the States, and I, I say it's just as bad in Canada. Don't look for them to help you. You say, I'm not getting my Serb checks anymore. Well, don't look for those things. Look for God to help you. And I believe the standard is here. We have the message of the hour. So he says, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. And the, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit which is upon thee. Now here's the same spirit that's raising a standard. My spirit which is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth nor out of the mouth of thy seed nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. And I'm going to come back to that near the end. God bless you. You may have your seats. I'm going to invite you also just to lay a little foundation and get some scriptures and establish the runway for where we're going. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is now speaking to ministers and he makes this declaration of himself and the ministers of God. He said, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he, he puts this classification, you're holding something, you're keeping something, 
You're, you've got a mystery of God that's hidden to the world. You know, God's always hidden himself in some form or in some shape. It was in the Garden of Eden when man partook of the tree of knowledge that God had to block the way of the tree of life. He had to put cherubims or anointings. He, had to, he could not let man come to that place without first a sacrifice being there. And, and, and so God has always hidden himself. He's always hidden a part of him. And, and especially in this world, you know, it, it, the gospel's available, but God reveals himself to, to him who he will. You, you can study the Bible and you can study it by intellect, but the deeper knowledge only comes with character, only comes with the Spirit of Christ. It doesn't just, it's not imparted to you just because you're a good guy or a good gal or you studied harder, but it's when you're yielded and He comes and He gives of Himself. So Paul is saying God has given us something and we are stewards of the mystery. The mystery is he would actually say in one place, is the mystery is Christ in you. And that's a mystery that we have. And he would go on to say, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, I don't want to address this just to ministers, but I want to address it to all of us who are stewards over something. We're keepers of something. We have got something that's been given to us and that applies to all young and old and every one of us. Jump with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this is Paul speaking again in verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So he says something was committed to his trust. Paul, speaking of himself, God saw fit to give me this. Oh, you, you ought to think this morning, friends, if I can just awaken you. I know this is, this is a regular, well, it's not a regular Sunday. It's the first snowfall of the year. But it, 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 it's just coming to the same house, the same people, the same thing. But don't lose sight of what God has given you this morning. There are the billions of people on the face of the earth. You are hearing things today that nobody else is hearing. And you ought to treasure that. And you ought to say, thank you, Lord, for giving that to me. And I say, let's reverence it. Let's, let's, let's engage this morning. And Paul would say, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to God. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me and that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He counted us faithful, that what we've been given, it will, be, it will have some return. Brother Adam was speaking in, 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 as he's coming to the closing, and he says, what house will you build me? And, and he wasn't so much talking about, uh, you know, just, just building a structure, but it's, where will you have a habitation for me and for my spirit and for me to grow and prosper in this present and evil and wicked age? So Paul was given something, but Paul 
never stopped there. Let's go just a little further in Timothy over to chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And now Paul is, is really speaking to Timothy who he calls a son in the gospel. And, and let's just, actually, let's just back up and, and let's read in, in verse, uh, uh, 20, uh, verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. So Timothy, you've also been imparted something. I've been imparted something. Brother Bannon was given something. Nobody else can take it. But it's been imparted to us. And it's been imparted to your households and to your families and to young people and to children. What are we doing with it this morning? And he says, avoiding profane and vain babbling and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Now, I, I, I need to, and, and the, the title may not be immediately clear of where I'm going, but I want to speak this morning on keepers of the gate. And uh, the Lord willing, I, I, I'll, I'm, I'm going to take it as far as I can this morning, and then I'm going to take it into this evening. But I, 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 wanna, I want to, and I, and I want to just take my time with it, and I, and I want us to listen and to, to, to hear uh, what, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. When, in the Old Testament, when you had a, uh, a, a city or a wall or whatever it was, you know, there was a, a, something that was to be protected. There was a wall placed around it. You know, when, when in the restoration, when you look at the whole process of the restoration, there was, uh, you know, as they were coming back out of Babylon, Ezra the priest went, and it was a spiritual, uh, it was a spiritual restoration that was initiated. He 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 came to rebuild the temple. That was the first thing that he did. But then after that, it it also involved um, the priesthood, and 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 Lord willing, I'm just going to get back to this. But the priesthood, which had erred, which had fallen, they had married, they had mixed marriages, they had done things wrong, and and Ezra cleared all that up, and he says, now you've got a foundation. But the restoration was not complete with that word there. It had to also follow through years later where a man in the, in, in, in the king's court named Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer before the king, he began to get a burden on his heart. He says, I, the walls of Jerusalem are laying down and any enemy can come. And, and the king says, I'm giving you a charge. Go and build the walls again. Go and build the walls of Jerusalem because it's a, it was important. It was a part of the restoration. It's not good enough to say, well, the word's been restored as if it's up somewhere in a place that you know, we can all look to. But the word's got to be restored here and in our homes and in our families and, and, and in everything that we do because we are walking where the apostles have trod. So the walls were important. <coughs> but the walls... While they served a protection, and you can go to the Old Testament, they also had to be gates by which the people could come and go. Quite often they closed the gates at night, you know, because of intruders. And then there was, there was what was called um, uh, 
the watchmen that would, would stay on the walls and they would watch and they'd have different hours of the night and Brother Adam would speak a message on watchmen, what of the night? And so those watchmen had an important duty. But there was also those who were called the keepers of the gate. And the keepers of the gate, they also had significance in, in what they had to do. It was an important part. They were guards that were there for the protection of the city because the gate was an accessible place. The gate was an area where you could come and where you could go. The gate was also where, you know, an intruder could slip in or something could come in or, or something could happen. But these, these keepers had a special place and these gates were often very heavy and, and, and they had to be trustworthy and, and alert for any sign of trouble. If an intruder's army was coming, they'd have to close the gate real quickly. But they were keepers that were there. You know, let's... Uh, Sister Ruth, I'm going to jump ahead to 1 Chronicles chapter 9, if you don't mind. Just pick up a couple of verses just so you see where I'm going with this. 1 Chronicles chapter 9, let's pick it up from, from verse 17. And it, and it talks about it here, and you can find many places in the Bible, but I'll pick this one. And the porters were Shalom and Akub and Talmon and Ahimin and their brethren. Shalom was the chief who hitherto waited in the king's gate eastward. These were porters in the companies of the children of Levi. And Shalom and, and the son of Korah and the son of Esau, the son of Korah. My goodness, I, I don't know how they named their families back in the Old Testament. I guess it's easier in Hebrew to say these names. But, but nonetheless, and, and, and it gives a special designation of these brethren. They were, they were linked together with the Levites. They were linked together with those that, that waited on the work of the Lord. But it says in, in the middle of verse 19, of his house of the father, the Korites, who were over the work of the service, keepers of the gates of the tabernacles. And their fathers, being over the host of the Lord, were keepers of the entry. So this was a special designation they were given. They were keepers. And if I can say it, wherever we gather, there's got to be somebody, whether you're gathered in a group or in a family or in a church, there's somebody who's a keeper. When, when you look at where we are in a house, we've got, we've got security cameras around the building. They're watching for oncoming sign of trouble. There's a brother back there who sits at the door. He's keeping the house physically, the, the spiritual house. He's watching over it. That's God's order. They're, they're God's policemen, the deacons. There's a brother at the back, and you, you, you've been privy to times when somebody's come and raised up. They're keeping the order of the sanctuary. They're keeping the order of the place they're in. But the same applies to a gathering, whether it's young people, somebody there because it's easy for within the heart of a child, it's easy to, to go to the lowest common denominator. It's easy to revert to, you know, one does something, oh yeah, I'll show you and I'll do that. And, and before you know it, they're sinking. But somebody's got to keep things. Listen, friends, we're not here just socially. We're here on business for the king. And there needs to be somebody who keeps it. Sometimes it takes a young person to stand up and say, okay, let's change the atmosphere. And they may not say it in those words, but they can say it by bringing a testimony or a song. And you need to recognize God put that boy, God put that girl, God put that person there, and it's for your protection. 
He's a keeper. And if he does that, he is a keeper. Yeah. So these men, they were keepers over the gates of the tabernacle. And it says in verse 20, And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, was the ruler over them in the time past. But they served an integral part. Verse 21, And Zechariah, the son of Melshebi, was the porter of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. All these which were chosen to be porters of the gates were 212. These were reckoned by their genealogy in their villages, whom David and Samuel, the seer, did ordain and set in their office. This was important. It was important that somebody watched over these things. So they and their children had the oversight of the gates of the house of the Lord, namely the house of the tabernacle by wards. In four quarters were the porters towards the east, the west, the north, and the south. And their brethren, which were in their villages, were with after them seven days from time to come. So if, if you actually go through, and I won't study it this morning, but you go through when the tabernacle was built, and, and it was a tabernacle in the wilderness with the three courts, the outer court, the, and, and then it was the the, the inner court, and then the holiest of holies. Around that were the 12 tribes, three on each side. Now the entrance to the tabernacle was to the east. That was God's order. And if you look at the east, it has significance. But all of these were guards around the tabernacle. They were guarding something. They were holding something. So was it also in the New Testament. God placed four guards over the life. The life was the book of Acts. The Holy Ghost in a group of people. And the Holy Ghost was there, but the guards were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew protected one gate, and, and Luke another gate, and Mark another gate. So everything has an order. And so is it today. You know, this is not a ragtag message that, that came out of somewhere and, and it was Brother Branham's ideas. This came from the mind of God. This is there for our protection. The order that we have in the church, the officers, that's for our protection. The parents in a home are for our protection. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 44. Now, Ezekiel was also <coughs> a prophet, and, and he lived in the time of the restoration. He was of the children that were in Babylon. But it was in this time and this season, as God was inspiring thoughts of a natural restoration, he was also projecting something greater, something that was going to come, and it was going to be showing that God's great uh, tabernacle in heaven. And so... As, as Ezekiel, and there's so many parts of this that I could go to, but if, listen, don't, when you come to these places in the Bible and you read them, remember every verse is there for a reason. Every chapter, it fits. It, it, it's so linked and inspired of God. So in Ezekiel 44, verse 4, and it says, Then he brought me by the way of the north gate. So the north gate was where the eagle anointing was. Before the house, and I looked and beheld, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell on my face. 
And the Lord said, Son of man, mark well, and behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears all that I say to thee concerning all the ordinance of the house of the Lord, and all the laws thereof, and mark well the entering in of the house, and every going forth of the sanctuary. Now he's saying, there's a coming and there's a going, but you've got to mark that, you've got to watch that. And he says, and you shall say to the rebellious, even to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, who, O house of Israel, let it suffice you of all of your abominations. So he, he's saying, you know, this is a holy place, but look at what you've done. He said, you have brought, in verse 7, into my sanctuary strangers, uncircumcised in heart, uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary to pollute it. Oh, friends, may God give us a reverence for where we are when, when we come into the house of the Lord, the attitudes that we come in, the things that we've been feeding on through the week, you can't just walk in. There's, there's a coming a time when the glory of God will be so great, those things cannot stand. I'm saying this to you before it happens. It's for every one of us, from the preacher in the pulpit to everyone in the pew. And he says... You have brought these things in. You, you've polluted it. My house, you've offered the bread, my bread, the fat, the blood. You've broken my covenant. You have not kept charge of my holy things, but you've set keepers of my charge. Uh, but you have set keepers of my charge in my sanctuary for yourselves. So the keeper had a, had a duty to, 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 to himself be holy and to be pure and to see and to recognize. There's a brother who moved to a church somewhere. And he came to the church and he was surprised that everybody watched television in the church. And he says, well, that's kind of strange. And he asked somebody, he says, oh, our pastor does it. If the pastor does it, then everybody else will do it. Where is the keeping power of that? Friends, there's a, there's a duty, not just for the ministers, but there's a duty for parents. There's a duty for every one of us. If you're an elder, you've got to not just say it, but you've got to live the example. Now listen, some of this preaching is coming back on me today. And, and I'm, not, I'm not just saying I've got a problem with the television or anything, but I'm just saying you, you've got to be and say, I, I don't have a television, I, I yeah, but you got a computer and you got access to all kinds of things. There, I said, be not, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. You, you, you don't think that, well, you don't have a television, but you know there's devices everywhere that have access to everything. Be not ignorant. Put no confidence in the flesh. Even if you are a minister, you're a deacon, you're whoever you are, you're a head of a home, do not give opportunity for Satan to have his way. Put those devices away when you're in a weak moment or in a weak time. Set them in public where everybody can see them. I'm not doing anything with them. I, I, listen, I, I'm not, I wasn't born yesterday. And young people, you may think, yeah, but you don't know what happens in my room. Yeah, exactly why I'm preaching this. I was a young person once. Well, that's going over real well. <laughs> okay, I, I need to, 
Let, let me just make, make another statement or two. When Isaiah said, and when he, when he was spoken to, he said, they'll come, they'll fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. When the enemy shall come in, I, I'm going to just say, it's, it wasn't worded if the enemy shall come when the enemy shall come in. I'm going to tell you one thing about demon spirits and devils. They are relentless. Satan was relentless in the Garden of Eden. He may have come to Eve thousands and hundreds and thousands of times before she gave in. The devil will come. The devil will come to your home, my home. He will come to where we are. He'll come to your weak places. Listen, friends, the best defense is a good offense. You've got to be on top of it. You can't be there in a weak moment. Oh, the devil came. Okay, I'm going to ask you to put up the, uh, the PowerPoint, Sister Ruth. <coughs> I, I need to share a story. And I'm, I'm going to have to jump ahead for this. Okay, this is a story. Rattlesnakes. Once upon a time, there was a family of wayward church members who had been active, but they'd lost all interest, interest and fallen away. There was a father and three sons, Jim, John, and Sam. I'm glad there's nobody here with three children by that name. The elders had talked to them about their lost condition. The preacher had visited them. Many brethren talked to them about their lost condition. They tried to get them to come back to church, but all of this did not seem to do the least bit of good. One day, when all the boys were out in the pasture, a large rattlesnake bit John, one of the three sons, and he became ill. The doctor was called on, and after examination, he pronounced John to be in very critical condition. He says, about all we can do now is pray. The father called the preacher and told him of John's condition. He asked the preacher to pray for John's recovery. This was his prayer. O wise and righteous father, we thank thee, for thou in thy wisdom sent this rattlesnake to bite John in order to bring him to his senses. He has not been inside the church for years, and it is doubtful that in all this time he felt the need for prayer. Now we trust that this will prove a valuable lesson to him and will lead him to genuine repentance. The prayer isn't over yet. And now, Father, wilt thou send another snake to bite Sam and another one to bite Jim? Another big one to bite the old man. We have been doing all we can, everything we know for years to restore them, but to no avail. It seems, therefore, that all our combined efforts could not do what this snake has done. We thus conclude the only thing left that this family will do any good is rattlesnakes. So, Lord, send us bigger and better rattlesnakes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. How many would say amen? amen. Can, thank you. You can turn the lights off and turn the PowerPoint off for a moment. Thank you. I had to just bring that in there. I wasn't sure where I'd bring that in. 
Don't wait for the enemy. Don't wait for trouble. You need to fortify. You need to keep your home now. Don't wait for, for California and tremors and things. Don't wait for, for what you think will have to be fulfilled in the White House. Don't wait for those things. You've got to be on offense now. Don't wait for trouble to come to church. Get to church now. Don't wait for family devotion. Start it now. So this, the Spirit of the Lord said, when the enemy shall come in, and it will. You can go further into Isaiah 54, and, and I, I, won't, I won't have you turn to it, but it says, uh, it says, <coughs> no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Now it never said there would be no weapons formed against you. There's many weapons formed. But if you're a child of God, they will not prosper. I, I, I would like to take a little bit of what Brother Andrew led into. And I'll say, God wants to raise a standard. I'm going to take a little bit of what Brother Max preached. The waters are troubled. Will you jump in too? And I, and I, I want to just say this. I, I have, I, I, this. This came to me about three or four months ago. And I... I've, I've just felt that I, I need to come down this road and I may not be able to do as good a job as is on my heart, but you just need to right now stay with me and say, this is God speaking to us. And it doesn't matter how well we think our homes are run, I think we need to just tighten up and buckle the armor a little bit more. Because God's going to raise a standard. Now are we going to join him? Are we going to open for that? You might say, well, I pray in the morning. I do this in the morning. It might be, it might be a young person say, I, I do all of this. But I'm going to say, are you really engaged? Are you really moving as God moves? Because I know you can go through motions. We've all done it at some point. We've, we've gone where it's just methodical and, you know, even prayers become methodical. But, I, and I'll say, thank God that he, he, he allows us and he brings us through seasons. But I'll say, Let's say, Lord, don't leave me. Lord, let your spirit always be on me from the morning until the evening, for I don't know what's coming my way. Now, let, let's, uh, I want to go to Genesis chapter 18. I'm, I'm going to direct this a little bit with a mirror to each of our homes this morning. And... I, I want to do that because I really believe we need to do it. Brother Harold would make a statement many years ago that stuck with me. He'd say, a church is only as strong as the families that attend it. So don't come to the church and look for it just to be your strength. Yeah, we feed off one another, but you've got to bring your strength and your family and your life here today too. So this is a really interesting Scripture, Genesis chapter 18, God had called Abraham in, in chapter 12. He had called him and he, uh, you know, he, he, it was obedience and it was, you know, he told him that I'll, I'll make of you a great nation. But as Abraham walked in it, and, I, and, and I'll, I'll use this, 
out of the feast of the trumpets, Brother Branham would say, we'll walk in the light, the beautiful light, one step at a time, walk him in closer. Children of the light, accept his word. Keep walking and watch more unfold. Now, we don't know the glories. And I, I will say, you know, sometimes the devil just points us to the drudgery of the walk. But I'll say, faithfulness in that walk, oh, there's glories that we don't see that are there. So he's saying, keep walking, watch more of it unfold. Don't leave it, no matter what somebody else says. Stay right in that. Keep walking. Watch it unfold and reveal itself. The word is a seed. A seed in the right forth will bring of its kind. So God had in his mind a great vision of Abraham and his seed and a nation. And he would tell them, <coughs> and, and, and Abraham as he walked, God said, and, and Abraham didn't know, and he says, look at the stars as he walked in obedience, and look at the dust in the, on the seashore. He says, at the sand on the seashore. Abraham, there's more of you than, than in all of that. And, and Abraham, oh, it was something to him. But now it was coming to an hour of judgment. And friends, we're in an hour of judgment. The Son of Man would come in a time like unto Noah's when they'd be marrying and giving in marriage. I'll come back to that. It would also come when it would be like Sodom and Gomorrah again. It's exactly that. This is, if this isn't the maturation of Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know what is. And now God is coming down to bring judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah. But as he's coming down to bring judgment, he has a friend in the land called Abraham. And, it was, and he was called God's friend. And, and so the path down to Sodom could only come through the gate of Abraham's house. God could not do anything. Zechariah says, Surely the Lord will do nothing except he reveal it to his servants, the prophets. And I would say, those that have received the prophet's message, you are privy to something. And I'll say this, God has you here not just to escape the wrath, but in some cases to intercede, and in some cases, I'll get into that more tonight, and in some cases to actually hold off the wrath. Until those that need to be sealed come in. But it needs a keeper. God has been a long time training us. We're not here just to live for ourselves. Well, you know, I'll live and I'll do this and I'll have a nice house and I'll go to heaven. No, we actually have to fulfill a purpose. Everything that serves God's purpose has a resurrection. So the gate had to come through Abraham's house in verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed him? Now, God couldn't hide it from him. And now God says this in verse 19, and this is to me so, it has meant more to me over the last years. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. Wow, that's amazing. So it wasn't just God pushing Abraham. 
He was, he was knowing how Abraham would conduct himself. And it actually gave faith to God to impart something to Abraham. Because as Abraham was growing in the faith, God was revealing more in the faith. He says, and they, who? His household, shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So God had something in mind of Abraham and of his seed that comes right down to us. And we actually have the same characteristics in us. Friends, if you're a member of the, if you've been called and you're of the seed of Abraham, there's something in you that doesn't just want to escape hell. There's something in you that wants to please the Lord. There's something that wants to go a step further. Oh, everybody else can, can, can just do what they do and, and go on serving God. But something in your heart actually hungers and says, Oh, God, let me walk with you. And don't let me just be a number in your kingdom. But, Lord, I, I want to have you for myself. I, I want to walk with you. And not only that, when you do that, you're willing to impart it to somebody else. And now look at the Lord. This is, well, let's, let's, let's leave this part for later. Let's go on to, jump to Genesis chapter 22. I want to just look at Abraham's seed in a couple of verses. Then I'm going to go to some PowerPoint, if you don't mind. Genesis, and even if you mind, I'm going to do it anyway. Genesis 22, um, this is in verse, <coughs> this is when Abraham um, was ready to give up Isaac, and Abraham calls the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, and then the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham, and in verse 16, let's start there, and he said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for thou hast not, thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. You know, I, I don't know if you remember, Abraham's act of obedience entitled him to be the father of the faith. You, you remember the story Brother Branham would talk about this man that he went out east or out west and he had, he says, he said, see those fields, see as far as your eye can see, that's mine. And then he says, do you see how far all of this goes? That's mine. And, and he says, you see all these things? And, and, and Brother Branham would say, well, what do you got up in heaven? There's another part to that story. Brother Branham says, the reason you have all of that is because your father gave to the kingdom of God and God blessed him and you are walking in some of those blessings. Oh my goodness. If we could recognize when we walk in obedience, it actually has this effect of spilling over. Now, now, don't get entitled. Just say, well, my dad's a deacon or my dad's a minister, therefore I'm entitled. I, no, I'll say there's a huge danger in that. Don't think for a moment just because you come to a message church, I've got to be there. No, you're not. I, I'm going to warn you right now. But I'll say, you are blessed in that you are in this atmosphere. That God didn't have to pull you out of the muck that your parents had to come out of. You already got a couple of steps, but you're there and you got to use it. Don't just sit idle with it. 
<coughs> and he says, in blessing I'll bless thee, in multiplying I'll multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And thy seed, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Wow. Because of what he did. And Isaiah picks up on it. I'll lift a standard. And you'll possess. You know, when the enemy raises a standard, I'll raise it. When the enemy comes in like a flower, I'll raise a standard. So this is, uh, this is now as a result of what Abraham did. Go over it quickly. Genesis 28. I'm doing this somewhat foundationally. Genesis 28. And this is when Jacob is running from the Lord. Or actually running from Esau. Because he's, he's deceived Esau. And he's deceived Isaac, his father. And he comes and he finds a stone, some stones. And he makes that his pillow. And he dreams a dream. You, you can read that in verses 12 and 13. And he dreams a dream, and he saw these angels ascending, and he says, I, verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou spread to the west. Now, God continually reaffirms his promise of a seed or a following. So there, there, as you're getting this, you're recognizing Hey, I'm going to have a family. And this family isn't just going to, to be willy-nilly. they got an inheritance. Something's got to be passed down. I've got to conduct myself in a certain way. And he says, and, and, he says, and in thy seed, he says, in the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. I will keep thee. I will keep thee. In all the places where thou goest and will bring thee again to this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done to you that which I have spoken of. And Jacob wakes and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And now in verse 17 he makes this declaration, and he was afraid. How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now Bethel became a landmark for Jacob. He would go back there time and time again. And I think there's times, whatever you do as a young person, when you're baptized, you got to say, that is a landmark. When, when you choose to get married, you've got to have a landmark. You've got to know that there's something beyond what my flesh is feeling, what my emotions are feeling. And, and, and he says, you've got to know that it's God that gave you this sister or this brother. And that they are a keeper. Because that will keep you. And, and so all of this was, was done that way. Now, I, I've, I've spent that much time. Let's just turn to the PowerPoint. And uh, I'm, I'm going to try and do this somewhat systematically. <coughs> I'm going to refer to this scripture because it really was a part of where I was going. Psalms 127. A song of degrees for Solomon. Except the Lord... Build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard. God is behind your household no matter how good you think you are and you naturally do it. If it's not God driving it, if it's not after the order of God, it will come to naught. 
It's got to be built not on a foundation of sand, but on a foundation of rock. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now, you need watchmen, and you need somebody to build a house. But you need to also recognize it's God behind this. And you need to do it with confidence. You need to be able to employ tactics that you know are proven. I'll say things as they maybe come to me. This is fine. Just leave it, Brother Dwayne. Just leave it. You, you can go to a lot of resources. They have a magazine in the States. It's, it's called Parents Magazine. You want to know what the latest articles were? The best way to get through a divorce. You know another article? When you're at home with the children and you're the father, how can you adapt to being the mother? This is what getting away from the Word of God will do. And I'll say this, you need to come to a resource that's proven. And I'll tell you what, you won't find it in many of the bookshelves. You won't find it on the self-taught psychology videos. You're going to find it where life is, where God's principles are, in the revealed Word of the hour. And Satan's tactic is to undermine the Word of God. Friends, ever since the United States made the Bible not being read in the classroom, and I'll say it started in 63, but when they rejected the Word in 63, that's what pushed the Bible out. That's what set them in a downward spiral. That's what set our lands in a downward spiral. I'll say this, you need a resource. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives up his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. That is not where much of the world is at today. I could give you a stat right now. In 1965, for every death, for every 10 deaths that were in 1965, there was... uh, 9.1 marriages. Today, 2020, for every 10 deaths, there's 3.2 marriages. Because people live in marriage or don't want to get married. And and I'll just say this. it's, It's an institution that has crumbled. And you and I walk with it. We see it when we go in the bookstores. You see it in fashion. You see it in all these things. Don't draw from that. You've got to draw from a source that will give you life. I'm going to say, friends, these things are at the gate. Brother Branham would come to his own tabernacle, and he would talk about Samson, and he would say, Branham Tabernacle, the Philistines are at the gate. You better be ready. And I say, anti-message tabernacle. The devil will come, but you've got to keep the gate. He'll 
want to come to your children when they're outside of your sight at school. Don't just send them off to school and think the teachers are going to teach them. I'll say this. You need to pray. You need to stay engaged. You need to be on top of it. God's entrusted you with them. As arrows in the hands of a mighty man soar, the children of the youth. <coughs> Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. The definition of quiver has been much debated in the message. Some say it is, you know, three. Some say it's five. Some people in Grand Prairie say it's eight. Uh, sorry, did I say that? In case Brother Tim Dodd gets this message, he's actually gone beyond that. He's into ten double digits. But at any rate, the quiver, they shall not be ashamed. And here's an interesting thing that I never really thought. If you follow all these other verses, it comes down to this. They, the children, will speak with the enemies in the gate. <laughs> you bring up a child in a household the right way, and you watch the atmosphere and what comes out of it. Now I'm going to use a few examples. So some of this involves my family. I'll, I'll maybe pick on the one that isn't here right now. And if it does come to you, just duck your head. We had our daughter was maybe three or four years old. You know, and, and you know, she, she was the firstborn. She was a little more outspoken than she was. But we went across the street just talking to the neighbors. And, and they had a little... I think it was a Cocker Spaniel, this dog. And it was kind of all furry and everything. And we were just talking with them. They're a nice couple. And, and, uh, and then they said, you know, we're going to have to give the dog a haircut. And then they looked at my daughter's hair, which was quite long, and said, oh, you're going to have to get a haircut pretty soon. I didn't say anything. My wife didn't say anything. But my, my, before we had a chance to think of anything or say anything, my daughter stood up and she says, we are Christians. I do not cut my hair. Amen. And I'm going, the enemies are hearing the voice of the children in the gate. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that doesn't come just by sitting, but it comes because there's a teaching, because there's an effort. There's an atmosphere that is made, that is put forth. And I'll say this, you know, we just think, oh, if they just get the Holy Ghost, when they get the Holy Ghost, then they can start to speak. And they may even speak before. Listen, I'll, now I'll speak about one of my sons. I won't mention his name. But it was in, in grade, I think, seven or eight or something. And he went to the school and they had a substitute. You know, we, we met with a teacher. We laid down the rules of things we didn't want. And, you know, we didn't participate in Halloween. We didn't participate, in, you know, in, in certain activities and certain things. And a substitute teacher came that day. And it so happened they had a pep rally in the gym. And everybody was supposed to jump and, you know, and run into single file and dance around the gym to a song called We Will Rock You. And my son, you know, he just tells the teacher, he says, I, I, I can't do that. And she oh no, just do it anyway. She says, no, no, my mom would not want me to do that. And the teacher says, oh, don't worry about it. He says, you don't know my mom. I, I say, God bless him for that. And friends, 
That is what is the reciprocal that comes out of raising a home and a family. And I'll tell you, it takes effort and it takes work. It doesn't just happen. You've got to be a keeper. You've got to be engaged. You've got to be watching. Okay. Let's go on. Proverbs 24. Through wisdom is a house builded. I know that's probably not proper English. Built would be. But it's builded. Let's just call it that. And by understanding it's established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all present and pleasant riches. If you actually go to the Hebrew, I think in one of the Proverbs, or one of the songs, it says, a wise man is greater than him that goes to war, or something like that. In other words, you can have all the strength and all the armies and all the physical power, but if you've got wisdom, which comes from above, and you can employ that wisdom, that will do more than all of the fighting you got to do after. And if you can impart that wisdom to your children, and, and they can at an early age grab a hold of it and walk in it, I'll tell you what, you're setting the groundwork for something. <coughs> so, through wisdom is a house builded. <coughs> and by understanding it is established. By knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all ple- precious and pleasant riches. You know, they came and asked Brother Branham. Ministers came and asked him, and they said, uh, how do you keep your church in order like that? You know, and he says, they, they just love each other, and they do those things. He says, that isn't me that does it. That's the Lord. I couldn't do that. I, I think we have a huge, you know, I, I mentioned this last service about the anointing and the atmosphere the, the, the message, the supernatural, 1956, Brother Branham goes through that message time and time again, and he talks about atmosphere, and he talks about influence. And he says the attitude and the atmosphere that you carry in will have a tremendous influence on your children. And I think we need to, to employ that and value that. A wise man is strong, uh, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength, for by wise knowledge, by wise counsel shall they make war. In the multitude of counselors there is safety. Let's just keep going. Time magazine, this is, this is years ago, why marriage matters. We need fathers to step up. Okay, so mirror on fathers, including myself. We need fathers to step up to realize that their job does not end at conception. I got a son. Hallelujah. You've just started. But what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, but the courage to raise one. Wow. I won't tell you who said that. Percentage of families that are one-parent families in the United States. In 1950, there was about 7%. In 2010, it's 32%. One-parent families. Say, well, what does that matter? I want to just say the emphasis that God puts and the premium that God puts on these things is beyond what we think it is sometimes. 
Let me, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference a, a uh, quote here, and I, I want to do it because it, I'm just going to bring it in with this. And I got it on here. I didn't put it on here. Let me, let me just read this first. Children from single-parent homes versus two-parent homes. Children from single-parent homes. Let me give you some statistics. Five times more likely to commit suicide. Six times more likely to be in poverty. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school. Ten times more likely to abuse chemical substances. Fourteen times more likely to commit rape. Twenty times more likely to end up in prison. Thirty-two times more likely to run away from home. Now, is there a value to having mother and father together and there for the children? And I'm going to say, they can be under the same roof and not together. I think there needs to be a coming together. Whatever happens in a home, it starts with mother and father, with husband and wife. If that relationship is not strong, you can't expect children to prosper or to do well. Now, you, you might say, I, I don't feel like it is what it should be. Well, I, I think we got to walk as it unfolds, okay? So you don't always, I, I wish I could go back and do a whole bunch of things over too. But I say this, God gives grace. As he unfolds, you may have sown some bad seeds, but start sowing some good seeds. Start doing it. And you say, well, I've been so many years. I've been 30 years. Start today. And you'll be quick. You'll be surprised at how quick then those things can overtake. So there needs to be a commitment to the husband-wife relationship. If that's strong, and if there's a togetherness, that spills over to the children. That, does that mean they don't ever have you know, strong fellowship? Yeah, sometimes they have strong fellowship. You know, voices are maybe a little more heated and things. But you know what? There's also a, a forgiveness, a coming back. There's, a, there, there's something that needs to be created. So let me, let me just go back to this, sorry, to keep you brothers going back and forth. So single family versus two-parent Homes On every single significant home relating to the, the, the short-term well-being and long-term success, children from intact two-parent families outperform those from single-parent households. Longevity, drug abuse, school performance, dropout rates, teen pregnancy, criminal behavior. In all cases, kids living with both parents drastically outperform others. Now that doesn't say anything about Christian families. But when you have Christian families with God on the center, there's also blessings that come that go to eternal life. <laughs> this is in a quote, Thirsting for Life. Brother Ram talks about the time he was in Saskatoon at the Besborough Hotel and there was a bunch of Americans that stayed there. There was noise in the hallway. He went into the hallway he doesn't even begin to graphically describe what happened, but there was men and women that were married, not with their spouses, running and playing with each other. 
And Brother Bram says, a couple of old men running out trying to grab them women. They missed. They stroked their hands down behind them. One grabbed the heel. She sprawled out on the floor, spilled some whiskey. This old man was so drunk he couldn't get off the floor. And they were saying they were having a nice, clean time, just a little fun. That's what breaks up homes. That's what spoils children. That's what makes neurotics. That's what makes teenage delinquency is when motherhood and fatherhood is broke. Listen, you, you, uh, this, I, I'm not getting a lot of roars this morning. I understand that. But you ought to thank God for what you have right now. And maybe there's some single parents here today or don't have a believing spouse. Maybe there's some that are single. But I, I'm speaking to all of us that we're all keepers. And sometimes God gives us people that are on our hearts and we pray for, or we take aside, or we whisper, or we do things. I, I, I say even in our home, I'm not the know-all, end-all in our home. I encourage uh, our, our children, you know, have a good friend, have a good mentor, have somebody you can talk to, somebody you can, you can you know, lean on. I think you need to make those available, and, and you need to encourage that. Because sometimes there's personality difference. Sometimes there's different things. Even between mother and father, sometimes one child links more with one parent than the other, but they need to know the parents are together. We are both for you. We're here with you. We're standing behind you. And he says, motherhood and fatherhood, parenthood, that you break that and you break the backbone of the nation. Questions and answers. These beetles, these teenage kids took over the world. The Bible predicts that. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truth breakers, false accusers, disobedient to parents, teenagers taking over the world. It's done. I went to another place. They were playing this old, dirty jukebox. I, you know, he walks into a restaurant. Have you ever done that? You walk into a restaurant, they're playing some kind of music, right? You know, and, and you walk in. I, I always go ask them politely, can you turn that down? And if they, you know, and sometimes they, they actually tell me, uh, we have to play that. That's the laws. That's, that's the rules of the business. I say, well, can you turn it down or can you give us a table that's not under a speaker? Well, Brother Adam did the same thing. He says, how much does them records in that jukebox cost? Ten cents a piece. How many will it play in an hour? She told him. He said, here's the money. Unplug it. I, I can't do that. He says, well, them kids come in here to play that. And he says, if they can't do that. Now, Brother Branham thought enough of that when he had his family out for dinner that he didn't want that infecting them that he says, well, then I'm not going to eat here. I won't spend no money here. I went somewhere else. He says, that stuff makes you nervous. nervous. That just irks a Christian. I'll tell you what, if you're comfortable in it, something's wrong. If you like that kind of stuff, you know what's wrong with you? You need to get saved. Because what's in you is feeding on something besides the world. Now you go to places, and it's not just a music, but they have a screen. I thank God for COVID for one thing. I think I've gone to three restaurants. And I've gone multiple times to one or two. But, I, you know, can't you imagine Jesus? Can you imagine the prophets? Friends, the whole thing all over is the devil. The Philistines are at the gates. Now... You know, you're behind your house, behind the walls. You don't have a jukebox. But when you go out the gates, you've got to be keeping where you're at and what you're doing. 
Your attitude towards Christ will make a great impression on what your children will be. Brother Andrew shared this the other day. He says, even when he tried running from the Lord, his father would come to him and he says, do you think there's anything better than the message out there? Do you think there's anything better than the life you have in this home? And he says, it smote him every time. Because it wasn't. It was the only thing. And he says, your life, what you live before your family, will make an impression on what your children will be. Number one, let them see that you love the Lord. That you put God first in everything. Number two, let that spill over into your relationships. Now, they, they also see the backside. They see the times that it isn't what it should be. But they also need to see forgiveness and, and love in the home and, and, and a continual working to letting it unfold and correct in a home. This may be extremely simple this morning, but it's very, very necessary. Okay? I read the rattlesnake story. We're good with that. By the way, if you ever get in trouble and you come that way and you, you, you think, I, I, I need God and these rattlesnakes, and you're asked the question, well, how, how much, how is your walk with God? And say, well, I think God sent that rattlesnake to you. <laughs> so, Deuteronomy 1. This is God speaking to the generation that is about to go into the promised land. And he says, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God goes before you. He shall fight for you according to all that you did in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where thou hast been all that thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bear thee. Now look at this, look at this terminology. You have seen in your walk where you've gone as you left Egypt, as you walked the wilderness. The Lord your God bear you as a man doth bear his son. So in other words, when your children are young and they were little, they need a father. They need someone to bear them in all the way you want. So bear means to, I know it's a dark, furry thing that's out in the mountain parks, but a bear also means to lift, to bear up, to, it's funny, to bear means to bear up. Okay, good. Uh, carry, carry, support, sustain, endure. I, I got to give a lot of credit to my wife. In our home and in our neighborhood, we had different families, young children, even when they were young children. Just fine, Brother Dwayne, just leave it. They had young children. They, 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 they were, you know, and, and they wanted our kids, you know, they came over to our house. They wanted us to come over to their house. We actually made it a policy because we found out they have televisions, they have music, they have other influences. And we said, the gates of our home are open anytime because we can control what happens here. And you're welcome to come anytime. And they were. But we, we also made it a policy that we didn't have our children unsupervised. And if they did go, if they were, and I, and I, I would say God put this on the heart of my wife that even when they were young, my, my daughter was invited to birthday parties from school and, you know, and it was seemingly so innocent and it was so, you know, oh, it's just a birth. It's just young kids. It's just, and, and she said, no, they wouldn't do it. And uh, because little birthday parties turned to be big birthday parties, turned to be sleepovers, turned to be all kinds of things. 
And we just determined we're going to close that door. Oh, that, that's, what are you, some kind of a, no, we're keepers of the gate. And, and it was years later, I think, there was a young boy uh, in one of my son's schools, and he was a, it was a Down syndrome boy, and they had a birthday party, and they wanted my son, and we kind of felt like, okay, we'll come. And my wife said, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to come along. You know, this is the same boy who said, you don't know my mom. <laughs> and, and I'm going to come along. And you know what the parents said? He says, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Well, if you're not comfortable with the parent who stands for something being there, then my children are not comfortable with it either. Now, little, listen friends, little Amalekites grow up to be big Amalekites. You've got to keep the gate. Deuteronomy 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently unto your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets upon thine eyes and you shall write them on the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So everywhere you go, I think you need to employ Brother Branham. They told us about Brother Branham. Whenever he went on a road trip and he would, he would talk with the children in the car, he would do Bible quizzes with them. And they would, you know, he would tell them who did such and such, and they'd go this and they'd go this. You know, I think that's tremendous. We, we used to have the picture Bible. I was always kind of like, okay, I was a little German, and I was a little staunch, and I thought, a picture Bible, huh. Cartoons. But you know what? I actually started reading it and I thought, oh, I've learned some things here. And I made it something that we did with our kids and we'd read the story and we'd look at the pictures and, and we would do it and we would do it. And then after a while, we did Bible quizzes. You know, who was the one that, that was, you know, Jehoiada's second son once removed? No, that wasn't it. I, <laughs> I, I would do other questions that were a little simpler, you know, but, <laughs> but anyway, it was good. And, and it was funny because I was tired already. You know, the, the, the joke around our house is I'd be up in bed reading a story with the kids and they could tell I was getting tired when I started slurring my words. You know, or I started mixing up characters or things. But it, but it, was, it was memorable and it did something. Listen, let me, let me I'm gonna, I have to jump ahead on this real quick. <coughs> okay, this, I, I want to go back to this. You, you all know David. David was a great man. Now, David was out caring for his sheep. David, But we don't know a lot about is David's upbringing. How, how was David brought up? You know, we don't read about it. Well, Brother Branham gives us a little insight. He says this, Little David, no doubt raised in a lovely, believing home. His father, Jesse... A great man of God. Jesse, a great man of God? He never killed Goliath. He never did those things. He never did all of those things. But in the mind of God, God knew there would be a David. And in order for there to be a David, there would have to be a father to a David. And so David, so he calls Jesse a great man of God. 
And he says, no doubt they gathered all those boys around at night. They had family prayer before they went to bed. They probably read the scrolls. They talked. Can you imagine? Uh, Dad, read us a bedtime story. Yeah, read us a bedtime story. And David said, come on, gather around. He'd sit in his easy chair and pull out the scroll. You know, and he'd start to read him a story. You know, and, he, and he'd say, ah, tell us the one. You know, if it was boys, because David had all, uh, Jesse had all boys. So he says, get us one about war or blood or guts or things or something like that. And if it would have been girls, it would have been, can you, can you tell us the one about how Ruth went off with Boaz into the sunset? Because that's just generally how boys and girls are. You didn't notice that? Okay, I, I did. <laughs> Listen, he, he would tell them stories. Could you imagine those stories that, that he was reading them and, and he would tell them and say, oh, Dad, tell us that other one. Tell us the other one. Listen, this was the foundation for who David would be. Amen. And Brother Ram says, they probably read the scrolls. They talked about the great Jehovah that opened the Red Sea, a great prophet Moses that brought him up, creating, following the pillar of fire. This created faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now he says, little David got to thinking about that. You know, Brother Ram told the story about the boys who, who all four boys were raised in a home, and in that home they had a picture, and the picture on the wall was a sailing ship. And he says, and, and they lived out in the middle of the prairies, and he says, they didn't know why these boys all joined the Navy. Well, influence. What kind of influence? Oh, okay, kids, uh, off to your room. You know, here's an iPad, here's a story. Is that what God's teaching us to do? Be not ignorant of Satan's devices. So little David got to thinking. And, and, and David, you know, maybe, you know, he began to think of those things. And he thought about it. You know, it's too bad that, that when Jesse was reading the story, he didn't have the story of David and Goliath. Because <laughs> I'm sure the boys would have loved that. David actually lived it out. But here, let's just read the next part. Of course he was the smallest. They put him out to watch the sheep. One day a lion came in and got one. He says, now, now here's the thing. Here he was alone. He was entrusted in the gates of his father. And, and here a lion comes out to get a sheep. You know, David could have thought. He could have said, 99 sheep, 100. Who's going to notice one missing? But that wasn't his attitude. He was trained differently. His training was, my father read about the scrolls, how God delivers his people. He said he would bless Israel. He would, he would I'm, and all of Israel, and I'm circumcised, and I'm in that covenant, and God's blessings on me, and one of my father's sheep is gone. I'm going after that sheep. And he grabbed his little slingshot, and he brought that sheep back by killing a lion. How did David overcome Goliath? By being obedient in the little things. How did he learn the little things? He was taught. Yes, he needed the holy, he needed the anointing of God, but he needed a foundation. Is this all right this morning? He was perseverant. What was God doing? Training him. A bear come in. Brother Ram talks about his own father. I remember when I was a little boy, I've always liked horses. I'll tell you, you can't go wrong as long as you love nature because God's in nature. 
I was thinking when I was a little lad, what I liked, my father was a rider. He was a good rider. What a shot with the revolver. Did you, now this is just naturally speaking. Brother Branham was a marksman. But did you know his father was a marksman first? He said he would take those great big stone marbles, roll them out like that. He'd have two guns. He would shoot one, and then he would knock the marble in the air, and he'd burst the marble with the other gun before it hit the ground. And what kind of an influence did that have on Brother Branham? Naturally speaking. What kind of an influence does it have, you know, when, when we as parents or as husbands or, as, let me just say it, as fathers can demonstrate and teach values regarding work and regarding good things to engage in and good things to be around. It can speak. I think Sister Ruth became a good marksman too. Is that right? (laughs) And he says, I couldn't hit a wash tub like that laying still, but I liked the outdoors. But I used to want to be like my daddy. I just loved my daddy. He wasn't a Christian until a bit before he died. I led him to Christ, but he was Irish, though. (laughs) Brother Max, he was Irish. (laughs) I I didn't mention that with the rest of the story. So now I can, I've got that out of the way. And... He was a real drinker. No matter what he did, I don't care what he did. He's my daddy anyhow. Listen, you young folks, when you get to a place that you call your dear mother and daddy, no matter what they've done, when it comes to a place they're not your mother and daddy and they're just the old man and the old woman, that's when you've taken one of the greatest backsliding states that you've ever took. He said, you'll never know what your mother means to you and a father until you hear the squeaking of the casket as it's going out the door. You'll realize it's not the old man then. You'll realize them gray hairs in his head. You helped put them there. I think we need to honor our mother and father. Let me, let me, I'm going to have to find a place to jump off here somewhere. Let me take this next one. Job was a man in the Bible. Brother Andrew and I have been fellowshipping on this for a while. If you read in Job chapter 1, you find how Job, his children would go out. They would be out there. They would be doing things. And, And he said, and Job offered sacrifice for them continually. Sometimes your children will not know how much you pray for them. They'll not know how much the mom or the dad or the mom bleeds for them. But Job was a righteous man and he prayed for his children continually. And his prayer was, Lord, it could be that they've thought evil in their heart. They've done something. And Lord, I'm offering a sacrifice in case they've done that. He was a real father. Now, I I need to bring a balance to this. Brother Branham would often say, there's two types of people in the church. He says there is the people that are continually writing the check, but they have no money in the bank account. And then there's other people, they have the money, but they're afraid to write the check. Let Let me put 
parenthood into that classification. If you make it all spiritual and it doesn't translate into a life, you're not spending your money. You've got to demonstrate. Listen. We demonstrated. Friday night was an amazing night around our house. I was actually thinking I would bring a demonstration and see if they would catch it. Friday night was an amazing house. We'd, we'd all have our showers and our baths. We'd, we'd do something. And we'd go up to our master bedroom. And we would have an old-fashioned pillow fight. I'm serious. We'd grab pillows from our... And we would be flinging pillows. We'd be diving across the bed, under the blankets... We broke a couple of lampshades. But it was fun. Listen, a house cannot just be a military camp. Light up. Thou shalt do this. Thou shalt go to bed. Thou shalt make that. Thou shalt wake up. Thou shalt smile when you wake up. Thou shalt. Oh my goodness. What kind of a home is that? Hey, pillow fights. It's wonderful. Makes me feel like having one. This Friday. See you guys there. <laughs> Except that I, 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 I remember one time I got nailed. It's like, whew. It was okay when they were five years old, but 12 years old is starting to get me. <laughs> Make your home a place they want to come back to. And I'll say this, if you make it all natural, hey, what do you need? Can I give you this? Can I give you that? Can I give you that? Can I give you that? If you make it all what you do for them, and you never bring them to God, you never let them sometimes stumble or fall or fail, you never let them know that they've got to have a walk with God. I say you're missing it too. There's a balance in there somewhere. And I'll say, oh, God, help us to have that balance. Listen, I'm going to stop right there at the pillow fight part, and we'll pick that up tonight. Is that all right? Let's have the musicians come. Are you, are you all okay with this so far? Okay. We're going we're to take another part to this tonight, and I feel sometimes it's just good that we remember these things and we know where we're at. So let's, let's just... Thank, the God, thank God for what he's given us in this message. The message has everything. And, and I believe that we can, we, can, uh, we can live our homes. And I believe our homes can be a lighthouse. I believe our homes can be a sanctuary. I believe our homes can be a refuge. You know, I, let, it, let it be that if you have a wayward son, they'll know. You know, the, the, the prodigal son, I, if I can say this, he had come to a place, he was away from home, he had come to a place, and he knew, he knew one thing. He says, the place I'm at right now, back where I am at home, the servants live better than I'm living. And he knew he could come back to that. And you know what the amazing part of that whole story was? The father wasn't sitting back in his space with his arms folded. He was sitting on the veranda, watching. Waiting, always looking for him to come back home. That's a real father. Let me, let me finish. I, I want to just finish that quote. Sorry, Sister Ruth. I want to finish that quote on Job. And then, and, and then we'll... I, I, I know Job probably didn't have pillow fights because they didn't have feather pillows in those days. But, but nonetheless, 
Um, I just wanted to finish this. Just keep going. Yep, yep. Let's, let's try there. I'll find it from there. All his friends had forsaken him. He broke out in boils and everything. I felt sorry for the old fellow. The Lord turned around and blessed him because he lived to the best of his knowledge under the burnt sacrifice, and he went and got children and made a sacrifice. They might have sinned secretly. They don't know it. But he was a real father. And God gave him all those children back at the end. Don't compromise. Stand for the word of God. Be a real father. Be a real mother. Let's stand together. <coughs> Lord, I, I want to sing that song again. Prepare me to be a sanctuary. We can. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. thing in all my life the greatest thing in all my life Oh. 
we sometimes know how great a gift God has given us when he gave us this message but not just this message but he gave us our families the greatest gift we could ever have I I would remember days I was working at home I would work working at work and people and bombarding me and doing things and I'd come home and my Remember my kids were little and, and you'd just be rolling around on the carpet and tickling them and chasing them around. The, and I said, this is real. This is what I'm here for. And I think we need to, we need to maybe just pay a little more attention. Well, maybe they're not old enough to be tickled and run around. Oh, we still do it a little bit. We do other things. But maybe we need to do a little more. I, I could read a lot of stats and things. And they talk about the need for there to be a place where there's a release within a home. Your children are under pressure. They need to come to a place where there's a release. The wife is under pressure. The mother. The father is under pressure. Where do you let that pressure off? You can do it in your sanctuary, in your home. I think we need to say thank you for it, Lord. I think we need to pay attention to it a little bit more. Let's sing, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. I'm going to ask Brother Alan Dole to come and close in prayer. We are so, so by the gift from your hand, we just can't understand why you love us so much. We are so Yeah.